Good morning, City of Hope. Good morning. Um, the New Testament reading is from James 2, 22 through 24. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. The Old Testament reading comes from Proverbs. Proverbs 18:24. a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 27, 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Proverbs 25, 20, Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Proverbs 17, 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Linda. We pray together before we begin. Father, we cannot fathom this in full, um, but we are told that you call us your friend. In spite of our weakness that we just sang about, our lack of these virtues that we'll cover here today, you still call us into the kind of friendship that we long for most in this life, the kind of friendship offered to us by your son, Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection. We pray that you would continue to grow us Shape your church into this kind of friend and this kind of community. In his name we pray these things. Amen. So, we are continuing our sermon series on Proverbs for the Digital Age. Um, so, last couple of weeks we've been talking about wisdom, right? Uh, words. And today I want to talk about uh, how Proverbs can teach us something about friendship and who our neighbor is. Uh, so, like other weeks in the book of Proverbs, this won't be a straight verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter reading of Proverbs. Um, the collection of sayings of Solomon, Agur, and Lemuel are, are not necessarily meant to be read sequentially one after another as though there's a unity, but to be drawn out topically as we think about these topics here together. So, um, we will talk about how Proverbs gives us a counter-liturgy of friendship to our modern-day conception of friendship. And if we look at these five verses here today, we will see some values that we long for us to see. And these five values speak uh, to the whole of Proverbs regarding all of its verses on friendship. I will be borrowing heavily from uh, the biblical scholar Derek Kidner in discussing these five categories of friendship that are in Proverbs. And so these will serve as our five main points for today. What does Proverbs mean to be a friend? Number one, the constant friend. Two, the candid friend. Uh, three, the counselor friend. Four, the tactful friend, breaking up alliteration for all of you who love alliteration and sermon points. And five, the vulnerable friend. Constant, candid, counselor, tactful, and vulnerable. So let's dive into the constant friend, which is 
the first verse that you see in your bulletins and on the screen here. Uh, this is Proverbs 18:24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Um, now, this week I got a little bit curious. Uh, I have been on Facebook since the year that it started, which was 2004, all right, 2004, which is just crazy to me. So when I logged on, it apparently says, you have 2,460 friends. Uh, now, I say that not to brag, but to rather be very ashamed. Uh, why? Because the reality of a Facebook friend is that many of these are individuals that I could tell you nothing about. I was an early adopter of Facebook. Most of it was centered on just adding a ton of people to the platform. Uh, many of these so-called friends are people that I've met maybe once in my life. Many of them are maybe networking individuals, kind of a Rolodex, and a ton of them, um, I was just like, how did I even become friends with this individual, right? Uh, they may know me, but I know nothing about them, and I feel awful, I feel terrible about it. You know, there is something about our current digital age that gives us the belief that our influence, our social capital, our worth, our value is based upon the number of people that would call us friends. Uh, it judges everything, right? It gives us influence over others. It gives us followers, subscribers. It, it gives us a platform. And this mass amount of people who come and view you today say, you know, you are something. You are worthy of something because look how many people are around you. This many people clearly can't be wrong. But Proverbs is giving us something here a little bit different. The man of many companions, that the translation of that is, is superficial companions. Uh, we find this same word for many companions applied in Jeremiah 3.1 in superficial relationships and in bad neighbors in Job 17.5. So when I think about this, you know, what draws immediately to mind is these people with an agenda who claim to be your friend, want to, to get to follow you, but at the end of the day, aren't really there for you. You know, what are the real reasons why people make these many companions? What, what drives us to want to pursue popularity and call it friendship? Uh, Proverbs makes a case that these sort of inconsistent friends are motivated by wealth and riches. Look at these three Proverbs that kind of reinforce what we're talking about here in Proverbs 18. Uh, Proverbs 14:20. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich have many friends. Proverbs 19.4, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Proverbs 19.6-7, many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. Now what this is not saying is that the wealthy have true friends on the sheer base of their wealth. Rather, the, these verses are saying that all of the people are motivated by friendship by that which is on the surface, which is superficial, of a false neighbor that is seeking whatever riches you might be offering. Power, status, money, acclaim, your skill set. Motivated by the idea that, you know, my friendship with this person means that I am associated with their success, with their worth, by placing myself near to them. So these are the kind of inconsistent friends that Proverbs is warning us about. Not one who will stick around, but one who will flee at the first sign of trouble. So, what is the counter to that? This constant friend. The kind whose 
presence, whose kindness, whose heart is inclined towards us, towards every season of life that we are in. The kind of friend that is constant because they value you as a friend, not because of what you can offer them in friendship, but because simply that you are their family. A brother or sister in Christ that, that, that says you are worthy not because of the riches you have, but the richness of intimacy and grace that only you as a friend can provide. These are the kinds of friendships that we as the church are called to cultivate in this life. Now, this, of course, has deep implications for the church. Uh, The danger lies for us in two specific ways, uh, two dangers. One is just seeing people in the church as a mere tool, right? You know, we look at the people in the church and and think of them as a utility. Ah, that's a warm body to run the nursery. Ah, that person seems gifted for music. Uh, Ah, you know, oh, Token diversity. Let's use their surface-level attributes without really considering what it means to contribute to the true diverse body of Christ. This is not being a constant friend, but rather masking church friendship as exploitation. Uh, The second danger that can happen is to assume that simply because you are in the church, that by de facto that you should and even are entitled to deep and intimate relationships with others without the investment. Now, that danger can sometimes come from the language that we use to describe the church biblically. You know, we call ourselves the body and the bride of Christ. We, we are a family of God, and those things are absolutely true, but make no mistake about it, it's not given simply because we use that terminology. It takes a real investment in each other's lives. It takes sacrifice. It takes a real friendship that goes beyond the greetings of a Sunday morning and the goodbyes as we exit and leave the church. It actually takes getting to know one another. It takes intentionality to pursue these relationships. And it takes us opening the window of our hearts to one another. In other words, we can't just claim the precious names of the body, the bride, the family of God and then assume that we can act as those realities aren't true. We need to truly live it as a covenant community. You know, think about the life of Jesus, uh, ministering lovingly to the crowds, and, and he had compassion on them. He healed the sick. He fed the thousands. He demonstrated his love to the world through the cross. But Jesus chose in his ministry to go deep with just 12, his disciples, to stick closer to them as a brother, to be incarnational and walking with them, You know, and I think about the precious time that Jesus had on his three years here on earth. Those 12 disciples became the primary investment of his relationships. Why? Because true relationships, true friendships involve this constant friend. Not only is a friend constant, but also our second point here is candid. Candid. Uh, Proverbs 27, 6, our second verse here today. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So a friend is not only constant, but he's candid. A candid friend means the ability to say hard things without the fear of breaking or losing the relationship. You know, a true friend is willing to chop off your figurative arm to save your whole body from dying. Uh, to say what you might not wish to hear, but what you need to hear. You know, sometimes we won't change direction in our lives on where we're heading unless someone else 
someone that we trust, someone that we respect, radically snaps us out of the direction that we're heading. A person that we know that is for us and is our friend, guiding us and leading us out, but doing so in a manner that is, that, that is helping us to see our sin clearly and guiding us out. This proverb ties this to the idea of faithfulness, exemplifying the faithfulness of God himself. Someone who is steadfast to realize not what you think that you want, but what is really and truly right for you. But this is not so for the enemies of our lives. These enemies are the kinds of people who continue to enable your sin and your destruction. These are the types of enemies on the surface level actually kind of look a lot like friends. They, they butter you up. They make you feel special. They make you feel loved. They shower you with attention and appear to encourage you in everything that you are doing, but they truly are not looking out for your best interests. They are, after all, your enemies. They don't care what ultimately happens to you. They only care most about how it affects them, and they will use whatever way they can to, to sort of falsely encourage you to make you to make what they desire to have happen in your life. These kisses in Proverbs 27, 6 is, is better known as flattering tongues. And Proverbs has a lot to say about the dangers of flattery. Look at these two Proverbs to see what I'm talking about here. Proverbs 28, 23. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Proverbs 29, 5. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. So what's the difference then between flattery and encouragement? Because we need to separate these two. Okay? Flattery is, is bad, all right? but encouragement, godly encouragement is good. Flattery is, is the kind of speech that hypes up people to who they are not. Encouragement helps people to see who they really are. Flattery is based upon insincerity. Encouragement is based upon sincere selflessness. Flattery is, as Proverbs 29 says, is like a trap set for a person to, to sort of manipulate them, uh, to ultimately trap them into other ends or means, uh, whether this be an unhealthy friendship, a, a workplace environment. You know, you ever sit, meet someone in your workplace that says, oh man, you are the best person at this task that I don't want to do. Man, you are, you are amazing, right? That, that's what flattery does. Or more seriously, flattery can even be used in an abusive relationship, uh, trapping an individual, locking them in. The danger between flattery and encouragement is that these two, is that in the Christian life, it's easy to pursue flattery to affirm our sense of self-righteousness, our own pride in the covenant community. Uh, flattery can almost be like candy in the diet of the church. It sounds wonderfully sweet and tasty. It sort of promotes that we're a loving community, but too much of it, without real healthy dialogue, without accountability and honest encouragement, we become imbalanced how Scripture is calling us to speak to one another in truth. Uh, my best man for my wedding, um, I try to meet up with him monthly for lunch together, and uh, there's this one particular time before this lunch, I came to lunch deciding that, um, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to change my hairstyle before I go to this lunch this day. I've had the same haircut for like eight years. Now, uh, you know, it's, it's thick, it's straight, it's heavy. It's, it's, it's like, I need like this hair gel. It's like the strength of Gorilla Glue to keep this up, to stay in one location. Uh, but this time I thought, you know, what? I'm going to change it up 
for Sungja. I'm going to look cool. I'm going to look, you know, in the sea of Korean pastors with side parts and bowl cuts, I was going to be like the K-pop pop star hairstyle, right? I was going to do it. Wavy, flowy, spiky. In my mind, right, I was going to look awesome for this lunch. So I show up to lunch fully expecting the flattery of my friend to hype me up. You know, kind of like when you post up a picture on Instagram. You know, I, I was expected to walk in the room and, and him to look at me and go, oh, you go, king. All right, glow up, man. My man, you stepped up your game. Oh, my gosh. You're going to lead people to Jesus with this hairstyle. You know, that's kind of what I wanted to hear, right? But Sungja was my best friend. In the full spirit of Proverbs 27, 6, he took one look at my hair and just said, what are you doing? <laughs> that's not you at all. And I kid you not, he said this. He said, your congregation is not going to take you seriously with that hairstyle. Are you trying to be in your 20s or something? What's going on here? Now, uh, the moment that made this beautiful, all right, is after that, uh, we both just started laughing. I told Sungjae, yeah, you're right. You got me. Sorry, man, I, I need to change. See, faithful are the wounds of a friend is ultimately not to wound so that you can be wounded for wounded sake. It's not simply to be candid for the sake of candidness itself. There's, in fact, nothing in Scripture that claims that we can say whatever we want to wound our friends. That is not what this verse is talking about. Faithful are the wounds of a friend is there because ultimately it leads us back to joy. You know, so there's this wrongful application of being candid. You know, I'm just keeping it real to justify the use of a sharp tongue, anger, uh, that isn't really acting like a friend at all, but is really uh, in the guise of being a friend as abusive speech. A real and abiding love is part of the equation of the wounds that we give. In the medical world, it's, it's called the Hippocratic Oath. Uh, the idea that whenever care is provided, even if it wounds, the end goal is ultimately to do no harm. In other words, the opposite of flattery isn't harshness, it's surgery for the sake of restoring true joy in the friends next to you. You see, it's wounding for the sake of healing. When Jesus gives to us his word, he doesn't mince them, he, he does wound us, but he also doesn't give them in delighting in hurting us, as though the telling of the truth were only merit, uh, there to bring us condemnation. Uh, that would only be a gospel of the law. But if we think about our two-part gospel, the gospel of law and grace, it reminds us that the reason why the word of God is a double-edged sword, piercing bone and marrow, is because it causes us to delight in the friendship of a Christ who is telling you, just like my friend Sungje, hey, what are you doing? That's not you. You are a son and daughter of the Most High. These words are here to restore your joy in the finished work of the cross to lead you from the pathway that you're headed. It's not merely meant for condemnation. It's helped you to realize where true joy is to be found. So listen to our candid friend. Our third point here is related to that is the counselor friend, Proverbs 27, 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. 
Now, to understand the context of this verse, oil and perfume were, were two expensive luxury items in the time of Solomon. Uh, the oil is most likely uh, an aesthetic olive oil, right? So I always like to joke around, uh, olive oil is biblical, uh, used for the outward beauty and considered a luxury. Uh, perfume was an extreme luxury back then, a kind of precious ointment that was costly because smelling good back then was no easy task. There was no, you know, bath and body works, right? There was no meaningful way to get clean and smell good that was easy as going to the store. So having both of these items make the heart glad is, is in the sense that there was this sort of outward pleasure in smelling good and looking good, right? After all, right, there's a reason why all of us sometime this week use scented soap, I hope, to, to clean yourself, right, and take a shower. Uh, there's something invigorating about it, but what is this proverb saying? There's something even better than that. Getting wise counsel. The sweetness is referring to the effect of a friend who is receiving it and that the sweetness is sort of just drawn out from this friend. Um, have any of you ever like sliced strawberries and put them in a bowl and then poured some like sugar on top of that and just let it sit? Right? Like what happens right, to the strawberries? Right? Uh, they become transformed. There's, there's a sweetness that is drawn out of it. That's sort of like the effect of wise counsel. It, uh, it draws out uh, the sweet and tender nature of the friends that you're with. You see, in other words, a true friend isn't one that won't lead you to a pathway of bitterness, but in their advice and counsel to you improves the quality and nature of your life in such a way you know, just life just tastes better with their words in it. And perhaps you know someone like this. Uh, they long for your flourishing. They, they want you to be driven to Christ, to help you to see the best parts of who you are and to cultivate and thrive your giftings in your walk with the Lord. It's better than the fresh feeling of being clean. You see, dimensions of your friend as they give you this wise counsel uh, that wasn't there before, things that, that make you in all of them as you see how God is working through them. Have you ever seen a friend who's just really knowledgeable on a particular topic, and, and as they're, they're talking, as you see their excitement grow, uh, you just become more in awe of who they are. You appreciate them so much more because you, you saw this dimension to them that wasn't there before. They become more intriguing, engaging, wonderful. They become sweeter to you. Uh, this is the friend of wise counsel. But in order for wise counsel to be sweet to us, uh, we've got to taste it. You see, wise counsel can only be good insofar as we're active in going on the wisdom that we receive. And this is why we talk about the importance of Scripture in our lives. As a part of our daily rhythms, each and every single day, we, we long for all of us to be a community of people in the Word of God. For so many of us, we have not seen the sweetness of God's wise counsel to us and miss all the junk food of the competing wisdoms that are out in the world. Digital marketing, 24 hours news cycle, podcasts, entertainment gossip, you know, the sort of new philosophical and ideological popularity that, that turns sort of almost everyone into a keyboard scholar. Uh, these all have the allure of trying to act like sweetness to us, but they're really like artificial sweeteners. It pretends to be the real deal, but in reality, it might be the thing that destroys you because it's taking you away from facing your eyes on the very wise counsel of God himself. Think about the wise counsel that our great friend Christ is offering to you, all right? 
gives us the foundation of a true moral compass in Scripture. It gives us wisdom of patience towards our neighbors and our friends. Scripture gives us the heart of missions to care for the lost, for those darkened by the wisdom of the world, the flesh, and the devil. It gives us true knowledge, not to pursue arrogance, but grace. It gives us perseverance in times of great suffering and sorrow. And most importantly, it sees us to help us to see who God truly is, a great friend to us. It gives us to see what life is really all about. To quote the Heidelberg Catechism, question one, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul, both in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all of my sin with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. This is the wise counsel of Scripture to us today. Friends, do we seek the counsel of our great friend in Christ? Fourth quality is the tactful friend, the tactful neighbor in Proverbs 25, 20. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Now, what I mean by a tactful friend is I'm not talking about a manipulative friend. That's not what I mean when I'm using the word tact. I'm talking about a friend who is wise enough to realize what is going on in your life and how best to address it tactfully. So Proverbs 25, 20 tells us of what this untactful friend looks like, a friend that is doing the exact opposite thing of what you need in the moment to do. It might not be harmful, but it is harmful in that moment to you. It's like the coldest time in winter, taking off your warm jacket and expecting to be better off. Um, it's like vinegar on soda. Uh, I don't know if you know this right now, but there, there are people on TikTok right now advocating for what is called healthy soda. And I kid you not, this is Proverbs 25:20. They are taking sparkling water and balsamic vinegar and pouring the balsamic vinegar into the sparkling water and calling it healthy soda. And so we are living in a world where the folly of Proverbs 25:20 is real. Uh, this is in every single way just wrong. <laughs> it's just wrong. Now, in biblical times, they poured vinegar on alkali, right? They didn't have like canned soda back then, but it was, it was the same effect. It, was, it would react together in such a violent and dangerous way. These two ingredients that aren't necessarily harmful in and of themselves, but there's just wrong tact in putting them together. The combination of the two just doesn't work. And this is what an untactful friend will do. When they're grieving, uh, they don't make you feel better. They make you feel worse. When you're happy, maybe they find a way to just ruin your day. Uh, when you're needing a friend to just listen, uh, they maybe just be rushing to try and fix a problem and looking past your sorrow. The untactful friend isn't necessarily a friend with bad intentions. It's just the wrong intentions in the moment that you are needing something else. This untactful friend is a constant enemy in Proverbs where the word neighbor and friend are often used interchangeably. Look at these uh, next set of verses here, Proverbs 26, 18 and 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Proverbs 27, 14, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. You know, you ever have a neighbor who uses deception to only say later, oh, I was just kidding, I didn't mean any of it. Or um, have that neighbor, and you know who that neighbor is, who's doing their lawn mowing early in the morning, right? That's what this proverb is talking about, this untactful friend. They're using unkind measures 
and they believe that they are being a blessing to others. They believe they're invested in the right mindset, and yet the pathway they are pursuing is destroying the very thing that they're trying to accomplish. So Proverbs is telling us that in order to pursue tactfulness, we need to be able to read and love our neighbors, to read and love our friends rightly, to read and love this church community correctly and giving them the right thing that they need in the moment, not just what we think that they need in the moment. We need to have tact. Now, we have all been there in terms of being that bad friend, haven't we? Where we approach our friends and go, you know what this friend needs from me right now? My insight as to why everything they're doing is wrong. And I'm sure that they would be so glad to hear it from me. But the reality is that oftentimes we need to be more tactful. When to approach someone. When to go about moving forward and fixing the problem. Ecclesiastes reminds us there is a time for everything. Including a time to criticize a time to encourage, a time to build up, a time to tear down. A true friend knows tact and how to live it. And finally, our last quality of friendship is the vulnerable friend. The vulnerable friend. Uh, Proverbs uh, 17, 9. Uh, whoever covers a, an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. You know, uh, when we t think about this word close friends, the, the only times that Proverbs uses this qualifier for friends, close, intimate, it's a word meaning bosom friendship. Literally like this idea of physical intimacy. This is how close you are with this person that you call a friend. Uh, Proverbs only uses that phrase in conjunction with how vulnerable these kinds of friendships are. Look at uh, Proverbs 16, 28. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Uh, Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Proverbs is recognizing the reality of the truth that uh, contrary maybe to popular belief, true friends are in incredibly fragile relationships. In his book, Made for Friendship, Drew Hunter points out how fragile this is in Scripture. I mean, think about the Garden of Eden. Uh, what was it that separated the relationship between God and man? Was it a bloody war? Was it this epic adventure? No, it was a whisperer, the whisperer of the devil, telling man that God was lying to them. It was this repetition of the matter of betrayal against God over and over from Adam to the Israelites, heading to the Promised Land, to the kings, to exile, to the church, and scripture promises even to the end of the age, repeating this matter over and over against a God who continues to pursue us with love, and we keep on repeating the matter. So despite enjoying the deepest communion with God possible, the people of God continued repeatedly to allow whisperers to separate us from Him, to continue to repeat our sinfulness over and over and over again to horrifying consequences. So one might think, that our closest friendships are all bulletproof, that they can withstand any struggle, that, you know, close friends will survive anything that's thrown at them. The reality of the situation of the wisdom of Proverbs is that true friendships are deeply vulnerable. There's a fragility that must be guarded. Why is that? 
Because the vulnerability of friendship lies in the fact that those who are vulnerable with you, who are that close with you, are being vulnerable with their lives with you and trusting what they've laid out before you. So a gossip or a whisperer or those who continues to sort of, you know, tell people and others about the worst things that you've ever done, they are taking all of that fragileness and smashing it on the ground. You know, that is not a true friend. That is not a friend who is caring for you well, no matter how close that they say or that you believe the relationship is in. A true friend understands this vulnerability but seeks to strengthen you in your weaknesses. This is what makes the spaces of our digital world so hard. You know, I have 2,400 so-called friends, but, but you know, when I share um, those vulnerable memories, those thoughts, those opinions that are out there for all to see, who comes out of that woodwork, right? Those involved in the terrorization of who claim to be my friends, but instead all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, come with malintent, exposing my faults to uh, uncharitably criticize me, to attribute my views to the worst or extreme views that are out there in the world and destroy. Have you ever had like a post that you put out and then all of a sudden someone you hadn't talked to in like nine years all of a sudden comes out of the woodwork to comment before you? Right? This is uh, that friend who does not take the vulnerability of friendship seriously. So church, uh, we need to caution ourselves. Uh, we are making vulnerable for us the notion that all of us who see us in the digital space, uh, we're exposing ourselves maybe to unwise judgment, people who will condescend us for our choices, our words, and those have a real effect on us. And when we go seeking for it online in ways that are not authentic to who we are, but rather for the roars of the likes and comments, the dopamine drug of affirmation. Uh, we are not entering into vulnerability anymore, but rather exhibitionism. So, if, you know, the performance of vulnerability and not true vulnerability, which is why it's no wonder in these digital spaces when we are created for community and friendship, often these spaces become places of shame and regret. But think about the best friends that you have in this life. Consider both the beauty of that friendship and the fragility of that friendship. You know, your best friends, uh, you know something about them that could ruin them. Isn't that, isn't that funny, right? Uh, you know their weaknesses and their flaws. You know their deepest sins and their failures, and yet you still love them and choose not to define them by their worst qualities and traits. You protect them. You, you guard them carefully with wisdom because you love them dearly. And we've all been in bad friendships where the people whom we trusted with our most careful secrets decided to trample them on the ground before others in mockery and in shame. And that's why close friends in Proverbs, the, the sort of, you know, bosom friends, do not dare go in this way. They instead look at all the broken parts of us and say, you know, I still choose you. And I will guard you, I will love you, I will protect you, care for you in spite of who you are. That's true friendship. All of us here are vulnerable. All of us here. You know, whether you give up a persona that, you know, you don't need anyone and you don't care about what people say, they don't affect you personally, or maybe you're on the opposite end. Maybe you wear your heart on your sleeve. All of us are deeply vulnerable. Why? Because all of us are deeply affected by sin. 
and broken in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. But we have this great friend that is able to enter into this space and love us deeply anyway. This is precisely how God has loved us as friends. Not just in vulnerability, but once again, take a look at these five qualities here. The constant friend, the candid friend, the counselor friend, the tactful friend, the vulnerable friend. As I was reflecting on these five uh, qualities um, with uh, Paige, um, I realized something critical. You know, if the wisdom of Proverbs is correct about this is sort of the landscape of friendship, and this is what a true friend is, um, then who in the world could be a complete friend to me? Who could possibly be this in all circumstances? And then it got me thinking about myself. What a terrible friend I've been to other people. How have I hurt others so badly? Is it no wonder why all of us feel this relational void in our lives? Is it no wonder that Scripture is telling us that apart from Christ, we will do anything to find this kind of friendship. We will dive into whatever faux community we can to even get a taste of this. What's going on here? Is Proverbs here just to condemn us? Who can do all these things? God reminds us of this encompassing fact is that why we feel this void in our relationships is because we have not yet grasped the depth of what it means when Jesus calls us his friend. John 15, you are no longer servants. I have called you friend. Do you know what this means? That when we look at the cross and see what Jesus has done, it's more than just the mechanics of a doctrine being fulfilled. Uh, Yes, that the cross, yes, is about the justifications of your sin declaring you not guilty. Yes, it's about the sanctifying work of Christ to give you double imputation of our sin onto him and his righteousness onto us. Yes, the cross is the hypostatic union of the God-man, Christ himself, fully God and fully man, to covenantly fulfill that God has promised all of these things as the second Adam. Check, 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 and amen. We need all of those things. But what the cross reminds us also of that we do not gloss over when we think about this topic is greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friends friendship of christ you see is on full display on the cross that makes us wonder as those united to christ as his body and bride and family of this constant god who tells the truth to us, this counselor who is suffering on our behalf, this tactful friend who says, come to me and I will give you rest, this vulnerable friend who takes all of our shame and claims it as his own and guards us from the death that we should have died and protects us from the enemies of this world. This is the friendship of Christ that fulfills the void of the relationships that we're longing most in our heart today. Friends, the cross of Christ reminds us that we must first rest ourselves in the friendship of Christ before we pursue friendship of the world. Because the key to all these wonderful qualities that we mentioned is truly what Jesus is giving us. The giving up of yourself 
for the sake of another. The constant friend must sacrifice the sake of wide relationships for a deep one. The candid friend must sacrifice flattery of the crowds for the sake of truth and love. The counselor friend must sacrifice their pride to pass down their knowledge to someone who is unwise. The tactful friend must sacrifice the desires of impulse and instead be thoughtful in caring for the relationship. The vulnerable friend must sacrifice their own righteousness for the sake of loving the unrighteous. All of these things, you see, Christ is doing for us on the cross, our perfect friend. And he calls for the church to do greater works than these. So church, my prayer is as we look at this local community of faith here, of City of Hope, our value wouldn't be in just the utility of playing church. That we wouldn't just be tools for one another, for the appearance of friendship, for the appearance of being a healthy, welcoming church. No, we value each other because of the friendship that we have in Christ united together. That we don't let the intimacy of losing a friend ruin us because we know that Christ is the only one that can fulfill, perfectly fulfill the void we long for in others. That we would stick close to one another in spite of our failings, nearing the intimacy of Christ. The God of ages past, who has no turning, who is everlasting from age to age, who made us in his image to reflect the constant friend of God in our relationships with one another, who is and forever will be the great friend of Proverbs. So let's pray together.